Andrew Womack Ministries presents this message titled, Kinds of Prayer, Part 2. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. But the very first purpose of prayer, or the foundation of prayer, is not to be able to receive things from God. That's a valid form of prayer, it's part of it, but the main thing is to establish a personal relationship with the Lord. God established prayer. There was prayer and communion between God and man, even in the Garden of Eden, before there was any sin to confess, before there was anything to ask for. They didn't have any needs, and yet there was a valid need for the relationship between God and man. So that's the main thing of prayer. The biggest blessing of prayer is the fact that we get to commune with the Lord God Almighty in fellowship with Him. Amen? And many times we get moved away from that, and because we do, and we get to where we spend more time asking for things and doing things in prayer so that we can obtain, they don't bear as much fruit simply because we left the foundation principle off. That's exactly what it's saying in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, where it says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. And that's really the way that a Christian life ought to be. I believe that we ought to be prosperous. We ought to never experience sickness or disease. We ought to have every need supplied. We ought to have miracles abounding in our life. But brothers and sisters, those ought to be an outgrowth from the relationship that we have. The relationship ought to be the real thing. Amen? Not all of the externals. And anyway, there's a, there's a kind of a whiplash to some of the things that have been taught today. Not that the things that have been taught have been wrong, but the fact that so many people, when they hear it, they go and take what faith will produce and major on that. And there's been a lot of abuses. There's been a lot of things happening. So a lot of people are speaking against faith. There's nothing wrong with faith. It's just a simple fact that you've got to make sure that underlying it, you've got the foundation. And that is the relationship with the Lord. Then we talked about meditating the Word of God. Meditation is a form of prayer out of Psalms chapter 5, verse 1. It's a valid form of prayer. It's one of the most neglected aspects of prayer is meditation in the Word of God. And we talked about how that through meditation is where the things of God really get in your heart and become a part of you. And, and it's not until it becomes in your heart that the Word is really going to set you free. Also, meditation is the way that you develop the relationship with the Lord. You take facts about who God is and what God can do, and as you meditate upon these things day and night, then you get an image of your Father on the inside of you, and you are able to develop and establish this relationship the way that it should be. And so meditation is a valid form of prayer. And then we started talking about the different types of prayer, and I didn't get very far into that, and so what I want to do is just pick up here and uh, continue to talk about the different kinds of prayer and how they fit in. And also, you'll see how this all goes back to the very first thing that we talked about, about how that the main purpose of prayer is to establish the relationship and fellowship with the Lord. We talked basically, uh, the last time I ministered, about uh, the prayer of petition and the prayer of intercession. And because many people haven't understood the difference between the two, they've got into all kinds of problems. And, and like there was a lady here, I who was that? Margaret Nodal? If I'm not mistaken, she was the one that needed a healing in her body. And through the gifts of the Spirit, we call that exactly, she said, what she had. I mean, down to the last little symptom uh, of what she had. And we said that the Lord was healing her, but she wouldn't come forward for it because she felt like she had already prayed about it and it would be doubt and unbelief to pray about it or have anybody agree about it or to respond in any way. Well, you see, many people have gotten those kinds of ideas because they don't understand the difference about the different kinds of prayer. Different kinds of prayer function differently. And many people, you see, there, there are different rules or different guidelines that apply to different types of prayer. And because people haven't known this, then they get all hung up and say, for instance, they're trying to operate an intercession 
according to the principles that apply to a prayer petition. And you can't do that. A prayer petition is where you're asking something from God. And according to Mark 11, 24, you, can, you must believe when you ask for something that you receive when you pray. And if you believe that you received when you prayed, there's no reason to go ask for it again, right? That's doubt and unbelief, right? I'll shake your head, yes or no. That's doubt and unbelief if you ask for something more than once. And so, that's the way you pray a prayer petition. You can't ask for anything more than once. But brothers and sisters, you not only can pray about something more than once, but you should pray about something with different types of prayer, like a prayer of intercession. You should continue to intercede over something until you see the thing brought into manifestation. And I forgot again, somebody else I was talking to here the last day or two was telling me that they had, well, it was Barbara, that's who it was this afternoon, was telling me she had prayed over her eyes and she had just kind of ignored the thing and the only thing that she had been doing about it since the first prayer that was prayed was just every time she thought about confessing that her eyes were healed. Well, now that's good. There's nothing wrong with what she has done, but you can add to that intercession. And we talk specifically about groaning in the Spirit. The Bible says, out of Romans chapter 8, verse 26, that likewise the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knows what is the mind of God, for he makes intercession according to the, for the saints according to the will of God. And it's talking about that the purpose of groaning in the Spirit was what? It was to make intercession for us, but it, the reason he made, the reason this groaning in the Spirit was there was to help our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for is all. Now see, when you have prayed a prayer, and when you really believe that God has answered your prayer, and if you've missed out what we said last time I ministered, you really, uh, you need to get a tape on what to do when your prayers seem unanswered. When you pray, you do receive instantly, but God gives it to you in the Spirit. You may not see it manifest in the flesh for some time, but that has nothing to do with what God's done. God answered your prayer, and God that God answered, but yet you're still in a, in a quandary about why aren't you seeing a manifestation to that prayer? Why are these things dragging out? Then, an infirmity does not only mean sickness. And this is verified because the Bible says that groaning in the Spirit is to help your infirmities, right? That's what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Well, we find in John the 11th chapter that Jesus groaned in the Spirit twice. Are you all familiar with this? Let's look in John the 11th chapter. Jesus operated in groaning in the Spirit. This is where he raised Lazarus from the dead. And in the 11th chapter, it says in, um, verse 33, it says, When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. I mean, that's the exact same terminology. It's not even paraphrased. It's not stated differently. It's the exact same terminology that he groaned in the Spirit. And then it says again in um, verse 38, Jesus therefore again groaning in himself cometh to the grave. And then we read on down. And as he called Lazarus forth from the dead, he looked up to heaven and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Past tense. He had already heard him. When did Jesus pray? Groaning in the Spirit is prayer. It is intercession. And so Jesus had already prayed, and Jesus groaned in the Spirit. If the purpose of groaning in the Spirit is to help your infirmity, then why did Jesus groan in the Spirit? 
It's because the infirmity that he's talking about here is not talking about sickness. It's talking about lacks or inadequacies. And even though Jesus was sinless, even though his body was a sinless body, it was a human body. And his brain right here that he had. Now, of course, see, Jesus operated out of his spirit. His brain was just a tool to direct his body and to get the things done in the earth. He was not using physical wisdom, natural carnal wisdom to accomplish the things that he did. He was operating in the mind and the wisdom of God. And so Jesus, in his physical body, it was not sinful, it was not stained, but it was natural. And brothers and sisters, there was never anybody's brain. I don't care if it was Adam before he sinned, if it was Jesus in his physical body, his physical body was not capable of grabbing hold of calling somebody forth from the dead. Do you all see that? That's just beyond the realm and the capability of a natural man. A natural man can't reach out and grab hold of those kind of things. It violates natural law. So he groaned in the spirit, not only for his infirmity, but also because of the tremendous hindrances that were around. There was a tremendous amount of hindrance, doubt and unbelief around that place. This is one of the few places where he didn't separate the people and get them away from the person that he was performing a miracle on. He normally did that. So you see, there was all kinds of hindrances there, and he groaned in the spirit to help his infirmity. So this infirmity was not talking about a sickness. It's talking about lack or inadequacy. He simply could not conceive with his physical mind the ability to, to raise somebody from the dead. So he operated in the intercession and the groaning of the Holy Spirit. Now, some people find that hard to believe that Jesus needed any help at all on anything. But brothers and sisters, that physical body was no more capable of walking under a tree and saying, Zacchaeus, come down, for today I must go to your house. That was not his brain that did that, amen. That was his spirit. That was a gift of the spirit. The same thing that we operate in today when you call out a person and tell them certain things about themselves, a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom. Jesus operated in a gift of the spirit. He was not capable of doing that in his physical self. He operated in the groaning in the spirit to help the limitations, the inadequacies that were in a physical body. Now, isn't that amazing? Well, that's amazing to me because if Jesus in a sinless body needed intercession, where does that leave you and me? And yet how many of us have never even heard of such a thing as groaning in the spirit? Well, I don't feel like I have many infirmities. Boy, Jesus, the sinless Son of God, groaned in the Spirit. And sometimes we think that we don't need it. I tell you, this is something that I believe, had, because it's been neglected, we have allowed Satan to have many areas in our life that we simply should not have had. Now, we've been learning that you, that you receive from God according to your knowledge. If you don't have any knowledge, like it says over in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, All things that pertain unto life and godliness are given unto us through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. I remember back before I found out the truth, when I was still in my denominational church I was brought up in, brothers and sisters, I love God, but I wasn't experienced the deliverance and the power of God because I wasn't told how to believe God for healing, how to believe God for miracles and stuff. I love God, but I was getting beat on every hand because I didn't have any knowledge about how to bring these things to pass. Romans 10, 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And when I begin to get the knowledge of the Word of God, and I begin to get it rooted down on the inside of me, immediately faith begin to flow. We begin to see miracles happen, and people healed and set free, and things working. Amen. Knowledge produced all that. But did you know this also puts you in a bind? If you can't operate any higher than the knowledge that you have of God, then what happens until you get a good understanding and a good knowledge of God? 
If you didn't have Romans chapter 8, verse 26, you would be in trouble. But you see, that's what the purpose of Romans 8, 26 is, to help our infirmities when we don't know what we should pray for as we ought. Until all of us get perfect, until all of us get established in the Word of God. Brothers and sisters, the Lord didn't want you to sit there and just flounder on your own. He's given you, first of all, people in the body to help you. Like we, we mentioned this the other day, people that have the gifts of healing, the gift of miracles operating in their life. And until you get your faith established to the point that you can see the cancers depart out of your body or whatever, go use somebody that has the gift on them and let them, just like an old dead battery. Lee right here, see, had a dead battery, barred my jumper cables, put the jumper cables on and charge up the dead battery. Well, you let the anointing that is flowing in a person charge you up, amen, and help you until you get established. But also, what happens if there's nobody around to lay hands on you and help you? Well, then you can use Romans chapter 8, verse 26. When you don't know what to pray for as, we, as you ought, or when you don't know how to pray, when you simply have an infirmity because of your lack of knowledge, then you can operate in groaning in the Spirit. And the fact that you know that truth about groaning in the Spirit and the fact that you are operating in that will compensate for a lot of the other things that you don't know. Amen? And brothers and sisters, you can explain a lot of things that have been happening in people's lives because of this one thing right here, that they haven't known exactly what they were doing, but they were so earnest seeking the Lord on a certain thing, they were so determined to get it, that they went to seeking the Lord, and maybe without them even realizing what was going on, they operated in groaning in the Spirit, and wherever the hindrances were that were keeping things from working out, they overcame them because they allowed the Holy Spirit to come in and start praying the perfect will of God where they didn't know how to pray. Amen? Now let me give you an example of this. Like the first time that I really started functioning in this, knowing what I'd, I'd done. I had groaned in the Spirit before, but I didn't know what groaning in the Spirit was. And so it wasn't profiting me as much as it should. Now it, it'll profit you. And I'd say this, that probably every person in here has who has received the baptism of the Holy Ghost has operated in groaning in the Spirit sometime or another. But you may not have been aware of it. And to profit from it the way that you should and mix faith with it, you need to know what's going on. That's the reason we're teaching on it. But the first time that I really operated on it, Marshall remembers this old 64 Chevrolet that we had. He had a, you had a 64 Chevrolet too, 63. His was even worse than ours. His blew up before ours did. We sold ours, praise God. But anyway, boy, we had two fine cars, I mean to tell you. And we were living in Seagaville preaching prosperity, <laughs> eating popcorn. It was something else. But anyway, we had, this, we had some financial needs. I was believing the Lord to sell uh, this car that we had, and the Lord told me that this 64 Chevrolet that we had was going to be the supply for our needs, and that if we'd just pray over it, God would take the finances we got from this car to supply our need. And so I said, fine. So we put an ad in the, in the Dallas Morning News and in the Dallas Times, there are two ads in there, and started advertising that car, and people came and looked for it, I looked at it, I mean, by the bunches. We put the ad in the very first day. People started coming to the door. Everybody wanted to look at that thing. It was a real popular uh, model car, but as soon as they saw it and looked around a little bit, they left. Nobody wanted to buy the thing. I was asking $350 for it. Well, after a couple of weeks of that, I knocked the price down to $250, and they still were leaving. They are staying away from that thing by the droves. And so anyway, finally, I mean, it had gone three weeks, 
and I needed the finances so bad. It was reaching a point that Jamie was not standing. I wasn't standing very good. And I, as I prayed about it, the Lord said, that car is your answer. Pray and believe that thing gets sold. So finally, I just determined one day that there wasn't any good reason that that thing shouldn't sell because I'd knocked the price down to 250 And I mean, it was worth at least 250 the way I looked at it. So anyway... I went down to the church building and I said, I am going to pray over this and we're going to see this thing sold and I refuse to allow this thing just to drag on and on and on. I know God wants to supply our needs. So I got in that church building and I started praying and I walk when I pray. I like to walk and pray. I don't know why, I just do. It keeps me awake, I guess. But anyway, I walk when I pray and I was praying in tongues and I prayed and walked for about an hour or at least an hour and a half, somewhere around there. And as I was... Uh, again, I stress that this is just the way that it happened to me. Don't anybody go to making a doctrine out of the way it happened to me. It's never happened to me this way since, okay? I believe the Lord was doing this in mercy, trying to get through my thick skull about what, I was, what was happening. But as I was walking back and forth, the anointing of the Lord got so strong on me that I couldn't stand up. I was walking and I was tripping over things. I nearly tripped over this chair. I bumped into the wall or the door casing a couple of times as I was walking around this place. And finally, I just decided I was going to lay down and pray. That way I wouldn't trip over anything. And as I was laying on the floor and praying, I mean, all of a sudden there was a groaning that started on the inside of me. I mean, it was a groan. Now, it wasn't audible outwardly. Outwardly, I was praying in tongues. I've been praying in tongues for about an hour and a half. I was still praying in tongues, but on the inside, there was a groan that went on, and it became a fighting, a wrestling. The first thing I thought of is when, when uh, Jacob wrestled with the angel. That's exactly what I thought of. And I thought, well, what am I doing wrestling with an angel? I didn't know, but I don't think that had anything to do with what I was doing. But anyway, it sounded scriptural, so I, it kept me from backing off of it. But anyway, I felt this groaning going on, and as I, you know, was thinking with my mind about what was going on, the Lord was showing me. He says, don't worry. He says, you're dealing with that demonic hindrance that has been keeping that car from being sold. So I allowed it to go on. It went on for maybe, I don't know, 30 minutes or 45 minutes. And I mean, it was something else. Just a groaning going on on the inside of me, and all of a sudden, it just began to subside. And it just wasn't there anymore. And I had peace, and I knew that I knew that I knew that that old bomb was sold, amen. And I, I was excited about it, so I ran out of the church building. I got in the car, and I headed home to tell Jamie that our car was sold. And before I could tell her, she met me at the door, and she said, a man just called, and he saw the car parked out at the church building with that sign on it, and he wants to come by the car. He's going to meet you there in five minutes. So I didn't even have time to tell her that our car was sold. I just had to turn right back around and go up to the church. The man's name was David Valentine. I never will forget him. And I met him there. Him and his wife and another lady were there. And uh, he says, I want to buy your car. And I said, well, fine. And I started showing it to him. And he says, okay, I'll take it. And I said, well, don't you want to know about it? And Anyway, it's a long story, but the thing was a wreck. Ball joints were gone on it, and you could hear it coming for a long ways. When it rained, it rained inside as well as outside. And if you turn the heater on, it pumped water out on the passenger's feet over on the passenger side of the thing. The windshield wipers didn't work, and it burned a quart of oil every 50 miles. The block had broke on it. And we prayed over that, and it never leaked any more water. But I, know, I saw the block crack on it, but anyway, it kept going. And I told him all this kind of stuff. I told him everything about it. He says, I don't care. I want it. And I said, well, drive it around the block. He said, I don't want to drive it around the block. I said, I'm not going to sell this thing to you if you don't drive it around the block. I want to make sure that you don't feel like you're getting taken. 
So he got in and drove it around the block, came back, said, can I buy it now? <laughs> so praise God, I let him have it. And anyway, as it came to pass, his wife, he had seen that car the very first time that I ever put a little sticker on it before I put an ad in the paper. He had seen that thing and he told his wife, I'm going to have that car. But he was a mechanic, see, and he had all kinds of junk cars sitting around. He was using it for parts as much as he was anything. And uh, his wife said, the last thing we need is another junk car around here. And she wouldn't let him bring that old junk car home. And she had been fighting him tooth and toenail over that for three weeks. And finally, while I was in that place praying, his wife came in and says, all right, go get the car. And he came straight down and bought the car. Now, how would I have known what the hindrance was? I'd never met that man before. You see, I had prayed. God had moved a long time ago to answer my prayers. He'd already, this guy wanted it, and the Lord had already moved on him. My need was being supplied, but Satan was hindering that through a wife. And there's no way that I could have known what that hindrance was. You see, I couldn't have dealt with that until I got over to praying in the Spirit and groaning, groaning in the Spirit. Do you all see that? And the Lord used that. And man, I just knew that something powerful had happened. And so I got to seeking the Lord about what was that that was going on on the inside of me. And it was groaning in the Spirit. I mean, that's just the best way to describe it. And as a result, you know, it was just a couple of weeks later, Marshall uh, had a church in Hamlin, Texas, and he asked me to come and minister at his church. And I applied that same principle. I got to praying over that meeting in Hamlin. I'd never been to Hamlin as far as to minister to those people. I'd been out there to visit Marshall, but I'd never uh, ministered to those people. I didn't know what the situation was. I didn't know how to minister to the people. And so it was see, the exact same situation. I did not know what to pray for as we ought. So I started praying in tongues and believing that this groaning in the Spirit, same thing that had operated before, would function again, and it would help my infirmities because I didn't know how to pray for this meeting as I should. Now, I want to stress again that this time, the groaning in the Spirit was not an outward thing. I was not laying on the floor. I was able to just sit here as calm as anything and groan in the Spirit, and, I, and it was simply more of a spiritual discernment. Like I had... Um, uh, a girl come up to me yesterday after we had mentioned groaning in the spirit and she says if it cannot be uttered then how do you know if you're doing it? I know it because of this physical manifestation the physical manifestation that goes along with it if there is any will vary according to every individual some people may cry some might laugh I don't know how it's going to manifest that's not important that's immaterial really it cannot be uttered. It's a spiritual thing, and it's a spiritual discernment. It's something that you discern on the inside. And so anyway, as I was praying for this meeting in Hamlin, I was recognizing that it was the same type of thing going on that had happened before, but yet there wasn't the physical manifestation that went along with it. But on the inside, it felt like that groaning in the spirit. So I went out to Marshall's meeting, and I don't know how much of this you remember, but that was one of the first times that I had ever operated in the gifts of the Spirit as far as calling healings out. One of the very first times that it ever happened. And I remember I called out somebody whose back was hurt. Do you, do you remember any of this? We called out that there was somebody there that had a back problem. The Lord showed me while I was praying exactly where it was. It was right down here just about the belt line. Showed me exactly what the pain felt like, that it had been there a long time, everything. I could tell you all about it. And uh, so I called that healing out. And I called out also a, a woman that had the left wrist that was hurting. And I didn't know why it was. And I called that out. And I called out a bunch of other things. I remember a, a man's right thumb. He had hurt it while he was uh, hammering. He had hit his thumb while he was hammering. So that means he had to have been left-handed if he hit his right thumb, I presume. Hope so. And anyway, the Lord was giving me all these specific things, see. And, 
And I went out there and called those things out. And did you know, just like that, everything that we called out, a person immediately came forth. Jean Douglas had her left wrist with arthritis in it, and instantly, she didn't even come forward. Instantly, while she's sitting at the back, that wrist was completely set free as we called it out. The only thing that didn't happen immediately was the person's back. There wasn't anybody there that would receive a person's back. Now, there was one guy that came up and said, I have had back problems, but it's not bothering me now. And I said, well, it's not you. I said, we'll pray over it, but there's somebody else. And finally, there was a girl there whose brother-in-law had hurt his back, and he had been laid off. He was a dock worker. And uh, he had not been on his work for quite some time, and they were in a pretty bad situation financially and everything, and this man had really hurt his back. And so she said, that's exactly what my brother-in-law has. So anyway, I told her, we'll, we'll pray for her brother-in-law. We had her come forward. We prayed for her brother-in-law. And that was on Sunday morning. On Wednesday of that next week, this woman finally got up and called her sister and was talking to her sister, you know, and they visited for a little while. And then she said, uh, by the way, how's your husband doing? How's his back doing? And she says, you know, the strangest thing happened Sunday morning that he was walking across the floor and right in the middle of the floor he stopped and he, he said that something was happening to, to his back. He could feel this heat going through his back and he was instantly set free. And I think that by the time the next Sunday had rolled around that he had gotten a doctor's approval to go back to work and he had been back on the job. I never did meet that guy. But it was really miraculous. And I mean, his back got healed as he was walking across the floor. Amen. He wasn't even present. And we saw some mighty things happen. And since that time, we've seen a lot of things happen like that. But what I'm saying is the thing that occasioned that was this groaning in the spirit. Because brothers and sisters, there's no way that you could know how to handle that situation. Now, praying in tongues also will pray and manifest the perfect will of God. It's a similar thing, but groaning in the spirit is different because the Bible says that it cannot be uttered. And this is my opinion. I can't say this dogmatically from Scripture, but in my opinion, I believe that groaning in the Spirit is like the highest form of intercession. That when you've prayed in tongues, when you've used everything that you know how to use, and when you're still seeing hindrances, I believe that it's the highest form of intercession that the Lord has given us. And so we need to practice it. We need to operate in it. As I said, you've probably already operated in it not knowing what it is. And after I've said all of this, usually somebody still comes up to me and says, but what is it? <laughs> it's not as complicated as it may sound. It's just a groaning in the Spirit. In other words, the Spirit within you, if you have released your faith for something and if you are not seeing the manifestation of the things that you've prayed for, the Spirit within you is grieved. The Bible talks about this in Ephesians chapter 4, that you can grieve the Holy Spirit of God by the which you are sealed until the day of redemption. You can grieve the Spirit. The Spirit within you has an emotion. It has uh, feelings. It can be grieved. And so when you are fighting something, and brothers and sisters, when you aren't seeing the desired results the way that God intends it to be, I guarantee you the Spirit within you is ready to make intercession for you with groanings that cannot be uttered. I don't think that that's necessarily talking about a wailing or a travailing. It's just talking about it, a high form of intercession, a groaning, a fight against those things that are hindrances to you. Somebody also has asked me, says, you mean you can just turn this on and off whenever you want to? No, you can't turn it on and off whenever you want to. Again, you need to realize there are different types of prayer. And brothers and sisters, if we're sitting here praising God for some of the miraculous things that God's done, and if you start trying to operate and travail and groaning in the Spirit, you're just going to be out of place, amen? You aren't following the leadership of the Lord. You aren't, when you're praising God, it's not the time to be groaning in the Spirit. 
But when you come into a battle, it's not that you can turn it on and off at will. Anytime you're in a battle, anytime you need intercession made for you with groanings that cannot be uttered, it's available to you. If you need it, draw on it and use it. Amen. And let me also say that you do not have to feel anything. Everybody get this? It is not a physical emotion. You may have physical emotions. If you do, fine. But you do not have to feel anything. Many times people get plumb out of faith when you start talking about groaning in the spirit and they start getting into a feeling realm where they wait on some feeling to come and they start entertaining feelings. And brothers and sisters, you can get feelings from more than God. Did you know it? You can get feelings from other people, and <laughs> other spirits. And so you, it's not that you should be seeking a spirit. But the way that it's functioned in my life, and this is the only way that I know how to explain it, is that as you start operating in it, all of a sudden it just gets past the point where you are trying to believe for something. All of a sudden you just know. It's a spiritual knowing. It's a discernment. That's a good word for it. It's a discernment, not a feeling. But you discern that you know that you are right down to the nitty-gritty. Amen. You know that you are doing battle with the exact thing that has been a hindrance. You don't have the, the mental revelation and knowledge about it, but you know that you are in the spirit dealing with that thing, and you can feel the struggle. It's kind of like a groaning. I believe that's a good way to express it, going on on the inside of you, and you know that you're dealing with that thing. Amen? And once you experience that, it ought to quicken your faith to say, Praise God. I believe that this is the Holy Ghost making intercession for me with groanings which cannot be uttered. And from this time forth, praise God, if I've blown it, if there's something I don't know about, well, I believe that it's being made intercession for right now and it's not going to be a hindrance or a stumbling block anymore that we are getting this thing settled right now. And when you'll operate in that and you, when you pray until you feel that groaning subside, then you'll find out that the thing's been dealt with. Now, this is where Pentecostals got the doctrine about praying through. It's because they would enter into prayer, they would feel this travail go on, which is scriptural. It talks about travail in the Spirit, in the Scripture. They would feel this travail, and they would pray until they felt a release. And when they did, they would see manifestations. So they came up with doctrines about praying through and all kinds of things, which what it is stemming out of, what it's coming from, is groaning in the Spirit. That's what all that came from. But it's been abused tremendously. Sometimes what people mean by praying through is praying until you can see the thing and there's no longer any faith involved in it. That's not what I'm talking about, amen. There's a fine line here that I'm not able to draw for you. Somebody could take what I'm saying and misuse it. If that's your attitude, I'm sorry. I don't mean to present it that way. But I'm presenting this because I believe that you're sincere. And if you will take this and operate in it in a proper way, It'll minister deliverance to you. It'll help you when you don't know what to pray for as you ought. And it's a high form of intercession, and we need to be operating in it. Amen? Just barely mentioned it, and I had a bunch of people come ask me what I was talking about by groaning in the Spirit. So that's some of the answer about groaning in the Spirit. Real quick, I'd just like to mention some other kinds of prayer. For ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask it shall be done for them of my father which is in heaven for where two or three are gathered together in my name there am i in the midst of them now this is talking about two people putting themselves in agreement and praying a prayer of agreement now this is a collective prayer this cannot be done just alone this is two or more people agreeing together on something it's called uh, commonly by a lot of people a prayer of agreement and this prayer of agreement 
has been a lot misunderstood. You know, a lot of people come up and say, well, I agree. Will you agree with me on this? And, uh, do you know, I've had to get, get to where I tell a bunch of people, no, I won't agree with you. <laughs> Amen. I've just had to tell a lot of people I'm not going to agree with you because what the Scripture is talking about by agreeing are two people putting themselves, I mean, in uh, an agreement like a contract that you are sitting here saying, we stand on the promises of God, we pray this prayer, we believe that we receive, and we will not move off of it. Now, brothers and sisters, you can't pray that kind of prayer. First of all, you can't pray it with somebody that you aren't in fellowship with, that you don't have a rapport with, that you aren't in agreement with. It just doesn't work that way. And if somebody comes up and says, I have a, a silent request, will you agree with me? How am I going to agree with the silent request? Amen. I don't know if I'm in agreement with that thing or not. How are you going to put yourself in agreement and pray with it? I may not be in agreement with it. But you see, we've seen that done. People come up and say, let's pray a prayer of agreement, and then they won't tell you what they're going to pray for. You can't pray that way. And then lots of times they'll come up and pray for something that you don't have the slightest idea whether that's the right thing to do or not. So the reason I'm saying this is that the prayer of agreement has not been used properly the way that the Lord wants it to. It's been entered into real lightly with people out, without people realizing what agreement is. And because of it, there's been a lot of things called prayer of agreement that haven't produced any results, and many people think, well, that doesn't work. It doesn't work very well. It works every time, amen, just like what the Scripture says, that if any two of us agree together here on this earth that's touching anything, it is done for us of our Father. Now, if you agreed on something and you didn't see it done, then it's because you didn't agree, amen. You may have gone through the motions, but a prayer of agreement works. So as you pray a prayer of agreement, you ought to realize that you need to be in fellowship with somebody. Something that has been real detrimental, and I've seen this happen, is that somebody who's, say, for instance, fighting cancer, and they want prayer. They go to their old unbelieving church that believes God died with the apostles and doesn't produce any more miracles today, and they stand up in front of that church and say, the doctors tell me I'm dying of cancer. Will you all pray for me and agree with me? Boy, you just blew it. You just blew it. Because those people aren't going to agree that you're healed. They're going to sit there and probably go through the motions. And as soon as they leave, start saying, they're, they're going to be dead. Did you hear what she said? <laughs> sit there and start talking death and start planning their funeral. I hope the kids take it good. And start talking about it. And anyway, that's not the kind of agreement that you need. You probably got 300 people in agreement that you're going to die. Instead of agreeing with you that you're going to be healed. Now, brothers and sisters, that's not what you need. Did you know an example of this is that uh, I won't mention it. I'll try not to mention any names on this. My wife's always getting on to me for mentioning names. <laughs> but there's a real famous fella that many of you would know about. He had a church that we used to attend. The man was believing God. He got received the baptism of the Holy Ghost in a denomination that does not believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But he took a stand, and he saw miracles happen. I mean, Marshall and I were in that church at times when they prayed for people, and uh, they'd pray for them, and cataracts would fall off of the people's eyes on the carpet, and they'd, they'd pick them up, and the people who walk out healed. They saw some mighty things start happening, but he compromised. He wanted to stay in this denomination so that he could reach those people. He got voted out in his county, but the state wouldn't kick him out, so he still retained the, the denominational name on his deal. Anyway, it was a hindrance to him. He went partway, but he wasn't going all the way because he was all the time trying to keep from offending somebody. Well, in the process, he died one time and came back from the dead and told his congregation about it. Amen. That's pretty good. We were there the Sunday after he had just got raised from the dead and came back and told everybody about what he had seen. 
it was good. But then the guy contracted cancer, and he started believing for his healing. He was hindered in believing for it. I don't know all of the reasons why. I believe a lot of it. Personally, my belief is that he compromised, and he just wasn't as strong. He wasn't able to stand and confess it the way that he should. But whether that was it or something else, he was hindered in his belief for this cancer, and this cancer was dragging on. Finally, the doctors told him there was no hope, hope and so he said, get me out of this hospital. I'm not taking any more treatment. He says, God's healing me. And he came home, and he was really in bad shape. And he was in such bad shape on this, this Sunday that uh, I was in that area. He was in such bad shape that he didn't come to church. But he was at home confessing that he was going to be healed. And so, anyway, they got this other guy in town who was a spirit-filled Episcopalian to come over and preach the service. And I'd been to this Episcopalian's church, too. And I'd listened to him. He was spirit-filled, had the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and was coming on. Well, that morning, the youth director and the majority of the deacons, all of them nearly had confirmed from separate sources on their way to church that this was nothing but an attack from the devil against that church. They had taken a stand for healing. They had boldly proclaimed healing and confessed it over that entire area. And the devil was trying to get them... I mean, destroy the testimony and show the people that healing wasn't real and that it wouldn't work and all these kind of things. So they said, we believe that this is nothing but an attack of the devil, not against only this pastor, but against the word that has gone forth from this place. And they said, if we could have a hundred of these men, there was 2,000 people there, says if a hundred men would agree to fast and pray in agreement with us until we see our pastor healed, he'll be healed. And it was good what they said. Man, they were believing God and they were going to stand against that thing and fight the devil. And so people stood up and they all agreed. Then this Episcopalian got up and he says, Y'all think this is a test of your faith. How childish. He says, Your faith has nothing to do with it. Says, God put that on that man. And if God wants that man to live, he'll live. And if God wants that man to die, he'll die. And he says, You're so foolish thinking that you can do anything. God's the one that willed all of this in the first place. And because those people were still trying to appease people and not taking a stand, my mother was at that service. She belonged to that church. She said that the man who stood up and said, let's bind together and fast and pray, she said he wiggled all over that chair he was sitting in. He was uncomfortable. She said he was just in knots the whole service. But you see, he was too political. And I don't mean that bad. I'm saying that the brother was still growing. But he would not take the stand that he should. He didn't want to offend anybody. So they let that man minister for 45 minutes. I listened to the tape. They brought the tape home and I listened to it. And he stood up there and he says, When this man dies, what are the people going to see? Are you going to be a man follower or are you going to continue to follow the Lord? And he spent the rest of his service talking about when this man dies. And the funeral ought to be a victorious funeral instead of a bad. I mean, that was really faith, wasn't it? And 2,000 people, because they were not established in the Word, agreed with that man, went out of there saying, Our faith has nothing to do with it. God's will be done. And when I heard that, I told my mother, I said, God forbid. I said, I can't believe you sat through something like that. I said, if somebody isn't able to counter that or to stop it over all of those people, I said, that man's going to be dead in a day's time. I said, he can't. He's having a big enough battle in the first place without 2,000 people agreeing that he's going to die. He was dead in about 12 hours after that. And I know it wasn't God's will. And I believe if that man had stood on his own, probably he'd have been better than to have that church put themselves in agreement against him. Y'all see that? So anyway, what I'm, I said all of that to say that there's times that you don't want... <laughs> 
people to agree with you, amen. You ought to be choosy about who agrees with you. A prayer of agreement is a very strong thing, and because we haven't looked at it and understood it that way, and we've just asked anybody and everybody, well, prayer can't hurt us. We've been in a lot of trouble. Prayer can hurt you. Satan can answer prayer because many people, if you're saying, God, do what it takes to knock them to their knees, God's not going to answer that. God's not going to kill you. God's not going to take your home away. God's not going to make your children sick. God doesn't do those kind of things. The Bible says that in Romans 2, 4, the goodness of God leads you to repentance. God's not doing that. And if you're praying that kind of thing, did you know you can curse a person? Did you know that? Many people think curses come from people that operate in voodoo, black magic. Well, that is a curse, but did you know there's a lot of spirit-filled people that curse people? By, they bind them with the words of their mouth. They sit there and, you know, somebody stands up and begins to give a testimony, Dick Jones saying, I'm believing God for a million dollars or something. And the people, you know, after they get out, well, I don't anymore believe that than nothing. That guy's probably going to lose everything he's got in the process. God's going to knock him flat of his face to show him something. And the people say, yeah, I agree. That's probably right. You are letting sa Satan will take advantage of words like that, brothers and sisters. Satan will take advantage of your words. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So you need to be aware that this prayer of agreement is a binding thing and you don't need to enter into it lightly or just throw your prayers out anywhere. Amen. You better be careful and you better know who you're agreeing with and asking for agreement before you get into it. Praise God. There's a lot more things to be said about that. There's, I'm going to skip through some of these things. We aren't making very fast progress on this. But I'll just say it real say some of these things like there is also a prayer where you dedicate yourself to the Lord and when you're praying a prayer like when you're dedicating yourself uh, it operates different again from other forms of prayer like say for instance you've all we've all heard the phrase Lord if it be thy will heal me well see that's a that's a dumb prayer I don't mean that to be hard against people, but that's not scriptural because the Bible says, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospers. When God's will is revealed in the word of God, if you tack on it, if it be thy will, you're praying a prayer of doubt and unbelief because God said this is my will and you're saying, well, Lord, I know you said it was, if you really meant it, you know. Well, that's wrong. You can't pray if it be thy will. And there's a lot of people... How, you know, a prayer of petition, when you're praying a prayer of petition, you must believe that you receive when you pray. Mark 11:24 says that. Whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them. If you pray a prayer and if you say, if it be thy will, how are you going to believe that you received right then? Because you don't know whether the Lord was disposed to answer that or not, right? And that's exactly the reason that many people have prayed prayers. They get up and they say, well, I don't know. I'm waiting on God. God's will be done. You aren't going to get any prayer of petition answered that way because you didn't believe that you received when you prayed. So you can't pray that way. But when you're praying a prayer of dedication and you're saying, Lord, I don't know what you want me to do. I don't know if you want me to preach the gospel or I don't know if you want me to have a gift of helps or I don't know if you want me to mop the floors. I don't know what you want me to do. If it's your will, I'll go anywhere. I'll do whatever you want me to do. That's scriptural, amen? And that's prayed different than a prayer of petition. And you see, that's what Jesus was praying when he prayed, Lord, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He was dedicating himself to the Lord, and 
it wasn't exactly only a prayer of dedication because he was submitting himself. He knew what God's will was. And when he said, nevertheless, not my will but thine be done, he wasn't just throwing his prayer out and letting it go and saying, who knows, maybe I won't have to go to the cross after all. That wasn't his attitude because he stood up immediately and he said, the feet of them which betray me are at hand. And he walked out and meant Judas. He knew what the answer was. He, that was a prayer of submission. He was saying, Lord, I don't want it. I hate sin so much, but I want your will done more than anything. And if this is the only way it's going to get done, not my will, but yours be done. He committed himself to what God said. So there is a time to pray that way, but it's not when you're asking for something. You need to find out what the will of the Lord is. And if you don't know what the will of the Lord is, then pray James 1, 5 and get wisdom. Find out what the will of the Lord is and then pray it and believe that you receive. Amen? Praise God. So that's the way a prayer of dedication goes. Anyway, another thing that I wanted to talk about is a prayer of praise. The Bible talks about out of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. It says, let us offer unto God continually the sacrifice of praise, even the fruit of our lips. And so a sacrifice of praise, praise is a high form of prayer. Matter of fact, I could minister for a long, long time about praise. <laughs> well, we aren't in a hurry, are we? Amen. Let's look over here in Colossians chapter 2. At least I don't say finally and then go on. Amen or oh me. Colossians chapter 2. It says in verse 6, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Now, thanksgiving and praise, I'm sure that there is somewhat of a distinction between thanksgiving and praise. I don't know that I know what they are. Do you? <laughs> There's probably some distinction between it. But anyway, I believe that they're definitely in the same category. It's talking about the same type of thing. And so he's saying right here that the way that you are bound in faith is with thanksgiving. Do you all see that? It, and when it says abounding therein, he's talking abounding in faith with thanksgiving. In other words, when you are really abounding in faith, there will be praise present. A person who is praying and there is no praise present, they are not abounding in faith. Do you see that? If you had prayed for a million dollars and if all of a sudden you had the million dollars in your hand, somebody gave it to you, what would be your first reaction? Praise the Lord. Amen. It is impossible for you to imagine your prayer being answered without there being praise. Is that correct? And yet the Bible says that in a prayer of petition, you've got to believe that you receive when you pray. So if you really believe that you receive, you've got to go over into the area of praise or you see you didn't really believe it in the first place. If you really believe something, praise is going to be an, an inevitable byproduct. It'll be there. And so a person who's praying for something and they're earnest and they're standing there and they're fighting, but there isn't any praise, they haven't realized their faith the way that it should be. Their faith isn't functional the way that it should be. Our praise would be there. Now, it's important also, some people see, they've heard teaching, we'll be sharing some other things about praise. They find out about how important and how powerful praise is. And so they try and praise God to get their faith perfected. No, that's not the way it works. Once your faith is perfected, praise will flow. Amen. Praise does not make faith come. 
Now, to a degree, it's very beneficial to, to uh, faith, but faith will uh, spawn praise. Amen? One reason that praise helps your faith is because when you're praying a prayer, you've got to get out of your praying your problem and get into praying your answer. And see, this is where a lot of people miss it. Like, for instance, I've used this example before about a woman praying for her husband. And they, they pray and they say, Lord, save my husband. He's such a sorry, no good, rotten, no count, bum, louse. He won't work. He beats the kid. He treats me mean. And they go on and talk about how bad that he is. And they say, Lord, save him. Well, you see, what have they prayed? They, they may have said, Lord, save him. But, you know, there's a scripture in, in Mark 11:23 that says you'll have whatsoever you say. All they've confessed is that he's a bum. Amen. And all of these things, they're going to get what they say. And also our words paint a picture. They're going to have a picture of him being sorry, no count, no good, bum, won't work, beats the kids, and on and on it goes. They have kept the problem preeminent before them. And those of you that were here and heard me minister about meditating the word and about through meditation, you get a vision of things God wants you to be. And as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If you can't envision yourself healed and you're praying for healing, then you won't get healed because you've got where there is no vision, the people perish. If you can't envision yourself prosperous, you won't prosper. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So you've got to be able to envision the answer. Now your words paint pictures, and if you are continually praying the problem, then you know what's going to happen? The problem is going to get bigger and bigger. And actually many times when people pray, they're making the situation worse by praying about it. Did you know it? Can you all understand that? That you can make your situation worse by praying about it? Many times you would be better not to pray and go to the Word, find out the answer, get the answer nailed down, amen, then go pray the answer to your problem instead of praying your problem. But many times when we go to the Lord and go to bawling, oh, Lord, look how bad my problem is, and go to telling him how bad your problem is, the Lord knows how bad your problem is, amen. He knows all about it. He knows a lot more about it than what you do. He, he does not need you to inform him what's going on. Praise God. Amen. You don't need to tell him all of your things that's happened to you. And so instead of going and praying the problem, if we would go to the Word and find the answer, like if you've got a physical hurt in your body, don't go telling the Lord how much you hurt. And don't, don't, don't go telling the Lord, Oh, Lord, it hurts and my back hurts. And if you don't do something, I know I'm going to wind up in traction and I can just see myself in traction. And I can see myself sick and wearing a brace the rest of my life. And by the time you get through talking that way, see, you have done, you, you've blown it. You've locked yourself into defeat. And then on the end of that prayer, they tack on, Lord, heal me. For Jesus' sake, if it be thy will. <laughs> By the time you've done that, you've just blown your answer. You'd be better off to go and find the scriptures. Isaiah 53, 5, Matthew 8, 17, 1 Peter 2, 24, 3 John, verse 2, and on and on they go. And go and get those scriptures and say, Father... You know what's happened to me, but praise God, I see the Word of God, the promises. And I believe that by your stripes I was healed. And I believe that Jesus fulfilled it, took my infirmities and bare our sicknesses and his own body on the tree. And you go on and just quote the Scriptures, and by the time you get through, see, you've spoken the Word. Faith has been released. You've put the answer in front of you, and you're able to say, Praise God, I believe that I receive. So you've got to be able to pray the answer. Now, the reason praise is so beneficial, 
when you're praying over something is because if you, if you discipline yourself and say, I will make all my requests known unto God with thanksgiving. That's what it says out of Philippians chapter 4. And be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with what? Thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. That's a command. Let every request be made known unto God with thanksgiving. So if you discipline yourself in that area, and if you start praising God, you know what's going to happen? You've got to get your mind off of your problem because, brothers and sisters, there is nothing to praise God for in your problem. If you determine to pray every prayer that you ever pray with thanksgiving and abound in thanksgiving, then you've got to quit saying, Lord, praise God for my back. Praise God that I'm hurting. Praise God I'm probably going to go into traction. You know, you can't do that. There's nothing to praise God about. You'll quit if that's what you've got your mind stayed upon. If you're going to praise God, you've got to get your mind on Jesus because Jesus is the only person that's praiseworthy. He's the only thing that's worth praising God over, amen? So if you just discipline yourself and say, I will operate in praise, you've got to get your mind off of the problem and start staying it on the Lord and, stay, and start saying, Father, praise you for Jesus bearing my sicknesses in his own body. Praise you that I believe I'm healed. And see, you've got to start seeing the answer. So that's one thing right there that praise accomplishes in your life. Praise will immediately get your eyes upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, because there's nothing else that's worthy of praise. Amen? So you ought to really discipline yourself, and you ought to check yourself out. Is your prayer life all moaning and groaning? Now, when I say this, I've had people misunderstand what I'm saying, and there's some people that have come out and said, are you saying that I'm wrong if I'm crying before the Lord? No, I'm not saying that. There's a time that you're supposed to cast all of your care upon the Lord. And you may say, Lord, I just have been bearing this burden. Take it, and it may come out. You may need to bawl before the Lord. There's, I'm not saying that those things are wrong, but I'm saying that all of us have seen that there are times when some people, if you ask them to pray, I mean, they can turn on the tears like that, they can turn on the bawling and the squalling, and that's their whole prayer. If that's the way that it is, they aren't operating, they aren't abounding in faith because they haven't put any praise with it. And I believe that the more you get into faith, the less time you have to spend bawling and squalling. Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong, because there are definitely times that it's beneficial. Amen? But I'm saying that that should not dominate. We're praying to a God who answers prayer. And like it says in Psalms chapter 70, let all of those... Uh, how does that say that? Let all those who seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee, and such as love thy salvation say continually, let God be magnified. The reason that it says, if you're seeking God, say continually, let God be magnified, or in other words, praise. See, that's praise. The reason you're supposed to praise if you're seeking God, because we got the promise that if we seek, we find. And if you really believe that, man, the moment you come to God, maybe there's a few tears or something because it's been such a burden upon you, but instantly you ought to break forth into praise because, brothers and sisters, it's all over but the shout and the victory, amen, once you put that petition before God if you've prayed in faith and you ought to immediately be able to start operating in praise. Every request should be made known unto God with thanksgiving. Amen? Let's look over here in Matthew chapter 21. In Matthew chapter 21, this is where Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and people were putting down the garments in his way and uh, throwing their, the palm branches on his way and he was riding in on this donkey. And it says in verse 
14, it says, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priest and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased, and said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus said unto them, Yea, have ye never read? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise. Now Jesus was quoting an Old Testament scripture. He was quoting from Psalms chapter 8 verse 2. And if you'll keep your finger right there in Matthew chapter 21 and turn over to Psalms chapter 8 verse 2 and compare these passages of scripture, you'll find out the Bible is a commentary on itself. Amen. I'm really convinced of that. People are always trying to tell you what the Bible says. The best way to tell what the Bible says is to keep reading. Amen. Just keep reading the Bible. Anything that's not clear in one place will be explained in another. And if you go to somebody's commentary, you're going to get, depending on what commentary you go to, you'll get whatever you want. Amen. There's enough opinions floating around for everybody. But if you stick with the Word of God, it'll explain itself. Psalms chapter 8, verse 2, this is the scripture Jesus quoted from. It says, Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength. Jesus quoted this and said, Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise. By interchanging these two and looking at them, and of course the word of God does not contradict itself, you can find out that Jesus said that praise is strength. Amen. Praise is strength is what it's saying right here. And it goes on to say, Because of thine enemies that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. So another benefit of praise is, Praise is strength against the enemy and the avenger, against Satan. Why is praise effective against the devil? Well, because the devil is miserable. Amen. Do you know, a lot of people don't realize this. They somehow or another have a picture of the devil as sitting there looking at the things going on on the earth and just laughing and having a big time. I've even heard people use examples like that, that the devil must be having a heyday. The devil has never had a good day, amen, since he transgressed against God. He's never had a good day. Never. Now, he may be having things go his way sometimes, but he still doesn't enjoy it. He is miserable. Have you ever seen people that it doesn't matter how nice you are to them, it doesn't matter if you were to give them something, how much uh, attention you lavish upon them, if you gave them everything they wanted, there are some people that enjoy being miserable. It is, they are just miserable. And you can't do anything to make them any other way but miserable. They just are miserable. But where do you think that comes from? That's not a quality of God. It came from the devil. That came because that's the way the devil is. The devil is miserable. Amen. The devil is messed up. He doesn't have any praise in him. He can't rejoice over anything. In hell, there are going to be any parties. There aren't going to be any parties. There's going to be torment. Satan is miserable. His whole kingdom is divided, brothers and sisters. His nature is opposed to praise as much as God's nature is praise. You see in heaven continually in the book of Revelation, the angels, the living creatures, the 24 elders, and all of the saints falling down on their face and worshiping and praising God every time the four creatures, I mean, the, let's see, every time the four creatures cry, holy, holy, holy. Everybody falls down and praise God. And as you read over a few chapters, it says that these four living creatures cease not to cry, holy, 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 day and night. Amen. So that means that it's just continual praise all the time. Falling down, putting your crown on, falling down and putting your crown on. Amen. Just praise before God all the time. That's what heaven's going to be, is praise. It's the way 
You stop and think about how the Lord's blessed and ministered to so many people this week and, and immediately. You know, I've seen in our worshiping of the Lord that it's grown and it's multiplied. Of course, a lot of you hit the ground running when you came in here. Amen. You're ready to praise God from the start. But I've seen that as a group, it's been growing and multiplying because things have been happening and praise is, is growing. Well, brothers and sisters in heaven, I guarantee you there is a lot of praise. A lot of praise. And in hell, there is no praise. It is opposite Satan's nature. So when you start praising God, it stills the enemy and the avenger. The devil cannot stand that. That just tickles me. I can imagine the devil just literally running because of the praises of people. You can see this even in the Old Testament, that when the evil spirit was upon Saul, what happened? They brought a harp as they praised at left, amen? We find that Elisha one time, when Elisha wanted the anointing of God to come upon him, he was asking the Lord about whether Jehoshaphat and Ahab should go out and fight a battle. He brought a minstrel, and as the minstrel pray, played, the anointing came upon him, and he began to prophesy. The reason we have singing before we minister is not because that's the way that it was done when we grew, in the church we grew up in. That's not the reason. Man, I a long time ago got kicked out of every church I've been belonged to, amen, and I've broken every other rule, and I wouldn't sing if there wasn't a purpose to it. But you see, praise, what it does, it does exactly what we've been talking about. If you come into a service, and if you've been, you know, really had a hard day at work, and if you've been beat down, if you will enter into the praise immediately, you've got to take your mind off of what happened on the job, and you've got to start thinking about the Lord, or you'll want to get out. Amen? So it gets your attention stayed upon the Lord. And also, if there are any demonic powers around, if you're operating in praise from your heart the way that it should be, it stills the enemy and the avenger. So there is a real scriptural purpose for singing and worshiping God before we come in and minister the Word of God and do these other things. It makes a big difference. Amen? So as we praise God, it does that. It puts your mind upon the Lord. Also, it stills the enemy and the avenger. So it's really important. Let me put all this in perspective now by saying this, that as we've talked about praise, I know that my immediate reaction and many other people, the immediate reaction when you hear this is to say, praise God, I'm going to start praising God and I'm going to get the devil's power and dominion over my prayers broke and I'm going to start doing this and doing this. And we start doing the exact same thing. See, is what Marshall's been talking against during this week. If you aren't careful, you'll start using praise as a lever on God, and to say, I've released my faith, and now I'm going to praise God. Satan, you get off, because I'm praising God. See, you aren't any more praising God than anything. You may be saying, praise God, but what are you doing? You actually sit there just trying to fight the devil with it. And because of it, many of us, I've had people come back and say, I've been praising God for three days. Well, if you're praising God for three days, you don't act like that, for one thing, amen. You don't sit here with a, with a frown on your face and look like you're ready to punch somebody in the nose. You may have been going through the motions and you may have been trying to operate in the things, but you see, brothers and sisters, it didn't produce. You didn't see it still the enemy and the avenger because it didn't come right out of your heart. And this ties us all back in with what we first started from, and that is that praise should arise because, first of all, you've established the foundation of prayer, the relationship with God, the way that it should be. You know the character and the nature of God so much that you know that when you pray that you're instantly receiving, and you know that you have the petitions that you've desired. And because you are so 
in tune with God and got that relationship in tune with God, then the immediate thing is just praise, not to get it to work, but praise because you believe that it has worked. Amen? And as you praise from your heart like that out of a relationship, brothers, now that has power, and praise will do exactly what the Word says. It will still the enemy and the avenger, and it'll work every time. And if we've been operating in praise, so-called, and if it hasn't been producing, it's because we've been trying to get to operate in praise, but it hasn't come out of our heart. And you can never operate in praise the way that it should be until, first of all, you have just really established your relationship and fellowship with God. Brothers and sisters, the principles concerning praise are true. It is a weapon, a high weapon against the devil. But it only carries the weight and the authority that it's supposed to when that praise is coming right out of your heart because of the relationship, you see, that's been established with the Lord. If you're using it only as a weapon, but it's not coming out of your heart because you really know that you know that you know that God loves you and that it's done, then it's simply not going to be productive the way that it should. Everybody see that? And so this comes back to that if we would simply seek first the kingdom of God, if our first m motive in prayer would be to come to know God above everything else, to fellowship with Him, then brothers and sisters, when sickness does attack, you could simply pray your prayer petition, believe that you receive. If you see any problems, start operating in intercession over the thing and, and lace all of it with praise because you know that you know your God loves you so much that he's going to supply all of your need. It would do away with fear. It would do away with worry. It would do away with all of the things that Satan uses to hinder our prayers with. And praise God, we'd start seeing things produce. We would immediately start ab abounding in faith, operating in this high form of faith because of the praise that came forth. But a person that doesn't really know the Lord and doesn't have that intimate working relationship with him, brothers and sisters, he can go through all of the faith principles that everybody teaches. Amen. Combine them all. Do them three or four different ways. Go through, praise, intercede, do everything. And if it isn't, first of all, coming out of the relationship because you really know the person that you're dealing with, it just is going to be like sound and brass and a tingling cymbal. It's got to come out of your heart. And I don't know exactly how to make that clear, but it's something that you have to experience. Do you know in our prayer time, lots of times we go before the Lord saying, I know I should pray. That's true. You should pray. I've even heard people say that you ought to pray in tongues at least an hour a day. That's good. Amen. You shouldn't make a bondage out of it, but I mean, that's a good principle. If you can pray in tongues an hour a day, it'll transform your life. But again, you can get caught up into the realm where you go and you say, all right, I am going to discipline myself and I will pray in tongues an hour a day and you start praying and you don't see it produced the way that you should. That's exactly like if, if you were to sit down and say, look, our family needs to start spending time together. That's true. It should. And so we're going to spend at least one hour a day together doing nothing. The boob tube off, no homework, not going anywhere. We're going to spend one hour a day as a family together fellowshipping with each other. That would be good. But if your kid was to come in and say, all right, here it is. It's 8.32 right now. At 9.32, it's over. Let's get with it. Fellowship. Amen. And if they were to sit there and just try and start talking, you know, if that was their attitude, it wouldn't be but just a few days before you'd say, look, let's just forget it. You go out and play and have a good time. We'll be better off. Right? And that's exactly the way that a lot of us have approached prayer and have approached everything else. Lord, I know I'm supposed to pray and I don't want to, but I'm going to get in here and I'm going to pray, pray.
praise God whether I want to or not. And you just sit there. And brothers and sisters, it hadn't come out of your heart. And it's not productive. That's the way that we've praised. That's the way that we've done a lot of things that we have. We need to sit down before the Lord. And you may have to discipline yourself some. I mean, there may be times that you'd be rather off doing something else. But you can come in and you can sit down and you can say, Father, I, you know, my flesh may be wanting to do this, but I really do know that I need to be praising you. And I just sit down before you. And from your heart, you know, start saying, Lord, I, I just love you. And start meditating upon the things. Start taking scripture to direct you into this relationship with the Lord. And you need to start spending time with the Lord. And I really am confident of this, that the things we're teaching about prayer, the mechanics of prayer that we've talked about. They are good, they're scriptural, and they're profitable. But did you know I believe that if you were to take a person and if they just had an intimate relationship with the Lord, they could operate in all of these things right here and and see it function without having to go through all of the teaching on the mechanics. Amen? Because immediately praise. Why, why should we have to be taught the importance of praise? If you really love somebody, and if you know, I mean, if you had confidence in me, if, if you had a $1,000 bill that was due by tomorrow, and if I came up to you and said, look, D, I'm, here's a $1,000 check. Now, that check wouldn't be the exact thing that she needed, but it stands for it, and say, it's good. Tomorrow you go cash it, and you got your needs supplied. Why would I have to sit there and tell her and say, and you better be glad about it too, amen, and you better thank me. You see, you don't have to do that to a person. If they really know what's going on, I mean, it's just an immediate thing that flows. Why would you have to teach somebody about praise if the relationship is the way that it should be? You wouldn't. Praise would just immediately flow out. Amen? That's not bad to teach about praise. I mean, it'll always benefit you. Anytime you learn something about God, it's going to help you. It's going to increase faith. But what I'm saying is that it shouldn't be that we're so ignorant about these things if we had the foundation the relationship established with god the way that we should praise would just be an overflow it would just be bubbling out of you praise god intercession would be something that would immediately begin to flow because you'd know that god's already supplied your need and you'd just stand on that thing and refuse to budge amen go to operating and drawing on everything god had made available to you and on and on it goes praise god yes sir Okay, I agree with what Dean, for those of you who couldn't hear, he said there's sometimes that you don't feel like praising God and you have to praise him through clenched teeth and that that's the only way you can get into it. I agree there's times you may have to start that way but that right in itself is not going to set you free. That in itself is not praise. That may be a necessary step getting to it. Amen. But it's only when it starts coming out of your heart, and I mean it is really true praise, that's when the yoke is going to be broke, not when you're trying to enter into it. Amen. There's certain times you're going to have to sit there, and I mean you aren't going to feel praise coming out of your heart. You're going to have to sit there and dominate yourself and do what you know is right, not what you feel. But when the real victory comes is when you discipline yourself enough that it is coming straight out of your heart. Amen? I agree with that. I wasn't 
saying that you aren't ever supposed to like there's times people have come against me and I wanted to punch them in the nose and I say praise God I love you <laughs> amen now I didn't totally feel that but I know that's right and I'm dominating myself I'm bridling my body with my words and if I keep saying it it will start flowing out of my heart amen but it's not going to really be productive the way that it should until I do mean it from my heart amen it's not good enough just to sit there and in your heart think hate and with your mouth speak love you need to get your heart and your mouth lined up amen because it's when you confess it from your heart is what the scripture says that you re release the power for with the heart man believes unto righteousness so you've got to get it in your heart from your heart amen praise God anybody else got a gripe complaint or a comment praise the Lord question No, when I pray, and, and I, I didn't use so much my personal manifestation because I don't want people to make a doctrine out of how I feel, amen. But I will answer that question, that when I groan in the Spirit, I very seldom, if ever, make any audible sound in response to it. I pray in tongues while I'm groaning in the Spirit. I'll be groaning in the Spirit and praying in tongues at the same time. I just pray in tongues through the whole thing. Yes, ma'am. What do you mean? The other people around you would also begin to start functioning the same thing? If everybody was in tune to the Holy Ghost. Like I've been in a service before. I was in a service where things were going great. This is at Calvary Hill Baptist Church. I mean, we had some powerful things happen there. And then you'd get somebody off the wall come in. Like we had a service there where there was a guy there, a piano player, and he wasn't all perfect. I mean, those guys weren't perfect, I admit. But this piano player loved the Lord. He had, uh, he had nearly died. He had his legs crushed, the bones in his feet crushed. He was supposed to have been dead, stayed in intensive care for I don't know how long. And the Lord miraculously restored and put back things that weren't there. The doctor said he'd never be able to walk. The guy was able to walk. He started to sing in group, and of course they sang typical old dead songs, amen, some of them. But they loved the Lord. They were trying to operate the best they could. And at, and at this church, it was an unusual type of Baptist church, <laughs> to say the least. And at this church, we sang songs. Boy, we marched around the building. And I remember Jerry was sitting at the piano with his handkerchief up. Just praise God. He was excited. It sounded like he still had four hands on the piano. And he had one up in the air waving his handkerchief. Praising God. And people were shouting and praising God. I thought it was great. It may not have been perfect. Some of it may have been emotional, but at least it's emotional for the right thing, amen. I thought it was great. And this guy got up, and he says, how did you enjoy the absence of the Holy Ghost? And he starts saying, you think you're praising God, and he condemned them. What makes you think you're worthy to praise God? Look at the sin, and he put their eyes on themselves. And I guarantee if you put a guy's eyes on himself, nobody's going to go to praising God. There's nothing praiseworthy. And he, he squelched that whole thing just completely quenched the, everything that was going on. On the inside of me, that's when groaning in the Spirit started. Amen. I remember, boy, there was a groan. There was a grieving on the inside of me. And the people around me who knew what was going on, just to answer your question, 
I remember after it was over, we all talked about that. Boy, we started interceding that we were travailing over that service, binding up the stuff that was coming forth today. And that guy, he just, it was, he wasn't able to do what he wanted to do. Now, I mean, he damaged the things, but through that intercession, see, it did operate through a collective body the same way. And I've seen it happen in our services that somebody will stand up and do some dumb thing. And uh, instantly, people who are sensitive to it will start groaning in the spirit. They, they may not even understand what they're doing, but it grieves them, and they start interceding about that thing. And as a body, they function together. And it's really powerful when you can get a body in agreement functioning that way. Does that answer what you're saying? It should function that way. Sure should. I believe it does. The reason we've taught on a lot of these things is because, you see, if a person... Uh, if a person is in a service where something like this happens and all of a sudden they feel this groaning or this, you know, their spirit on the inside of them grieve, and if they don't understand what's happened, many times people just get bummed out by it. They don't know what's happening. They just sit there and they get bothered by what they've seen, not knowing that the feeling that they're discerning on the inside is actually the Holy Ghost trying to rise up in you and do something about it. But once you understand what's happening, see, now that we've all had teaching on this, if something was to happen in the service and all of a sudden you were to begin to discern this groaning in the spirit, you could sit there, and if we were confident that we knew what we were doing, we could sit there and I could look over at Barry and I could look at him. One look could tell me, man, he's operating and groaning in the spirit. And I'd look over here, Brother Cain, and I'd say, praise God. And I'd just go to putting myself in agreement, and we could stand there, and it'd build your faith. You could unite with brothers and sisters and say, we're getting the job done, and the devil will not dominate this service, and you can do something about it but if you don't know what's going on you just look at them and say well Barry looks as bad as I do amen and you see you sit there and, and you could read it wrong there's a lot of things so I believe it's important to understand what's going on as you understand it praise God you'll start responding to it better and you'll start seeing these things happen now that I know what it is there's been times that this has risen up on the inside of me and instead of it bothering me, it excites me because I know what's happening. I know that that's the Holy Ghost jumped right up in my throat, making intercession, trying to get this thing over with and straightened out. And it's exciting to know that the Holy Ghost is right on the job, amen, making intercession for us. We hope that your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. Remember, Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline that you can call for prayer and information at 719-635-1111. We have a ministry website at www.awmi.net, and you can write the ministry at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you will reach out by faith and receive everything that is yours through God's grace.